Uh, today, if you would, please turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. <clears throat> Don't normally do this, but i got just a little story to open up with today. There were three women that passed away and, and went to heaven. And uh, when they got there, Peter was meeting them at the gate, and he said, we only have one rule here, and that is this, you cannot step on the ducks. So they say, okay, that sounds like a pretty easy rule to follow. And so they went through the gate, and sure enough, man, there are ducks all over the place. And it was almost impossible to not step on one. And, and although they did their best to avoid them, the first woman accidentally steps on a duck, and along comes Peter with the ugliest man that she ever saw. And said, your punishment for stepping on the duck is that you will be chained together and spend eternity to this ugly man. Well, the other two thought, man, I've got to watch myself, but it didn't take long. The very next day, the next woman stepped on a duck, and here comes Peter with the ugliest man that she's ever seen. And he says, I'm sorry, that's your penalty for stepping on a duck. Well, the third woman thought, man, I've got to be very, very careful about this. I've got to watch my steps. And so she manages to go months without stepping on any ducks. And then one day, Peter comes up to her with the most good-looking, buff, just chiseled-out guy, the most handsome guy that she's ever laid eyes on. Very tall, man. And Peter just chains them together without saying a word. And she goes, man, I wonder what I did to deserve being chained to you for all eternity. And she looked at him, he, he looked at her and says, I don't know, but I stepped on a duck. <laughs> Amen. May the grace of God go with <laughs> All right. Today we're going to talk about the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon in the Bible. Gideon was a farmer by trade, and unlike some farmers, he had no desire to be anything more than just a farmer. He didn't have political ambitions, he didn't want to be chosen to be some military leader, and yet God had a different plan for his life. I'm not talking about Gideon, the, the guy that probably you know, that wrote all the Bibles that are in your hotels. That's not the Gideon we're talking about today. We're talking about the one who had a very difficult journey to get where God wanted him to be. Can I just tell you this? God is looking for Gideons today. Men and women of faith who are willing to step out and allow themselves to be used in a great way for the cause of Christ. He's looking for heroes People that he can depend on. See, our definition of hero is a little different than God's definition of hero. Our definition of hero is more like a Captain America kind of guy who is chiseled out and buff and takes on the bad guys and, and uh, saves the, the damsel in distress. And those are kind of the, the things we think of heroes. But God looks as a hero to someone that says, are you willing to follow me and do what I want you to do? That's a hero. I want to give some background today as, as before we get into this story. I want to set up a couple things. First of all, I want us to look at what Judges is all about. After Joshua had defeated all of Israelites' enemies and established the tribes of Israel in the Promised Land, he ended up passing away. And instead of appointing another leader, another king, another military leader, God would occasionally raise up men and women who were called judges to lead the segments of Israelites against their local enemies. But how they got into that predicament in the first place was the fact that they would always be living in a place of disobedience at times. And so they would have this roller coaster ride with the Lord and, and they would walk in disobedience and then they would face the ramifications of that. And then they would cry out to God for a redeemer and God would send one of the judges because he's gracious and kind and he would let them provide necessary leadership to help get them on track. Even though some of these leaders were less than what they should have been personally. Those were the judges. 
And as I said earlier, Israel kind of operated in cycles. And the period of Judges, the book of Judges, is actually one of the lowest cycles of Israelite history. The last verse of this book is one that I feel like we're living today in our country. It's one that they lived in in the book of Judges. And the last verse just basically says this, each man did what they considered right in their own eyes. That's where Israel was at this time period. They had no king. And each man just did what they considered to be right in their own eyes. This book talks about seven different cycles of sin that spanned over a time period of 300 years. Each one of these cycles began with an opportunity of disobedience, which resulted into bondage, which later resulted into misery for the children of Israel. But then what would happen is they would cry out to God and God would raise up one of the judges to call his people back to him. And so what started out as disobedience resulted in repentance and deliverance and revival. But then when life got easier, they would get back into that cycle and go back into disobedience and back into sin and back into compromise. And so you see, in the years of their peace and prosperity, people once again began to wander from God's will. That sound familiar? And their moral decline was followed by military oppression from the outside. And so for 300 years, the people of Israel would bounce back and forth, back and forth in their obedience to God and being disobedient to God. And it seemed like each cycle that they got themselves into was a little worse than the one before. As we set this setting up in Judges chapter 6, I want us to look at the enemy that Gideon is facing here. Gideon was one of the judges that God raised up to combat a group of people known as the Midianites and the Amalekites, as you'll see in Judges chapter 6 verse 3. The Midianites were a nomadic people. And they would wait until Israel planted the crops, the crops started to grow, and then they would come in and sweep down and steal their crops, steal their herds, and whatever they couldn't carry off for themselves, they would destroy and burn. And this went on for seven years, and it was starting to get a little old. And so the people cried out to God to deliver them, and he called someone to lead his people. First out of military oppression, but then also out of moral oppression. And that man's name was Gideon. So today we're going we're gonna to look at this portrait of, of Gideon and, and kind of take some steps through chapter 6 and into chapter 7 of the book of Judges. And we're going to look at three pictures of the making of this hero. Because not all of it was great. Not all of it was a chiseled person that you would think of as a hero today. We want to look at these today and, and bring some application and bring it around at the end. The first that I, picture that I want to show here is Gideon plays the role of a coward. Plays the role of a coward. If you look at uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree in Ophrah, belonging to Joash the Bezerite, Gideon, his son, was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide from the Midianites. Not exactly a picture of strength and courage here. Would you agree? Here is someone who is hiding behind closed doors because if you know anything about threshing wheat, you know that they didn't like to do that behind closed doors. They wanted to do that in open air. Because as you thresh the wheat, what would happen is the wind would come and it would blow away the chaff, which is what you didn't want in the wheat crop. And so for Gideon, what he is doing here is he is cowering down and getting in a place where nobody can find him and crushing wheat. And he's also not just taking the wheat, but they're also getting the chaff with it. Because there's not enough of courage to stand up in the open and do that. Because they're afraid that the Midianites would come. 
He's, so picture this. He's, uh, he's hiding in the wine press beneath a tree, threshing wheat with a stick, desperately just trying to save a little bit of food for his family. This is the picture of not a courageous man, but a defeated man, of a discouraged man, with a man full of doubts, with a man full of fear. He's in the wine press physically, but emotionally and spiritually, he appears to be timid and bitter. Look at what takes place in, in verse 12. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. <laughs> Gideon is probably looking back and he's saying, I don't know who you're talking to, but you got the wrong dude. That ain't me. I'm not this mighty man of valor. I'm not the person that you think I should be. I, I, I don't know who you're talking to. You've got the wrong guy. Have you ever told God that? God, I don't know what you're thinking. But you got the wrong dude. Right? I know, God, that you've put this thing in my heart, but I'm telling you right now, that ain't going to happen. I know brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, she, they asked me to do this ministry, they asked me to do this thing for you, but I can tell you right now, that ain't me. You got the wrong guy. I thought that when God called me in the ministry. I remember I was in a service and I was playing percussion instrument on the side and nobody could really even see me. Church was even a little wider than this one. And I was over there and Zane told me, I, I, I made it, I, I, I tried to describe it the first service and he told me it was a kielbasa. But I think he, meant, I think he said kabasa and I, I took it as kielbasa. So I wasn't playing a sausage link. I was, I was playing the thing with uh, metal. And kind of, so really, it, it was kind of frivolous because in this huge sanctuary, n- nobody but the person sitting right on the front row of the section I was by could hear me because I was just... And uh, all of a sudden, the pastor comes up, as, as similar happens here during worship, and the pastor says, somebody here today is being called by God in the ministry. And man, like a lightning bolt that hit my spirit, man... I knew it was me. I'm like, oh. Are you serious? And I, I remember saying this. I, God, you're mistaken. In other words, you got the wrong dude. Right? And I sat there and I wrestled with it. And, and the pastor being obedient to the Lord, he just kept letting them sing. Because he's like, somewhere somebody's going to step up here because you're going to be so miserable sitting where you are. You can't stand it anymore. And you're going to come up here and I'm going to pray over you. And that's kind of how it worked. And he just kind of let them sing. And they sang what seemed like forever. And the longer they sang, the worse I felt. Finally, I just said, okay, God, I guess that's me. And I put down my sausage. And I went down to the altar. Many times we're like, God, you got the wrong dude. But God's saying, listen, no, I've got the right dude. I've got the right person. You just have to be willing to say yes. There are many times in your life God wants to do something amazing in you, in your family, in your, in your workplace, in your community, wherever it is that you are, are ministering and working and doing what God's called you to do and just living life. God wants to do something great in you, but you have to be willing to say, yes, God, I will be that servant. It's not about you coming and saying, God, you got the wrong guy. I am not qualified. I am not able to do this. If anybody was unqualified, it was Gideon. He, was not a, he had no military background. The only thing he could do was swing a hoe. He was a farmer. He had no aspirations of being anything else but a farmer. And God comes to him and taps him on the shoulder. And he says, listen, you mighty man of valor, you are the one that I want to use right now as the deliverer. And Gideon, notice what I, I look at some of the cowardice of of what he did here. Because in the very next verse, look what he says in verse 13. 
He said, then Gideon said to him, this is right after God said, oh, mighty man of valor. He says this, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Where were, are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? They said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Yet the, now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. When God spoke out to Gideon and said, Oh, mighty men of valor. Gideon's response wasn't like, Oh, yeah, that's me. Thanks for noticing, God. That's pretty awesome. I knew I was all that. Right? No. What was his response? His response was bitterness. His response was bitterness. Look at this text. Oh, mighty men of valor. And he says what? God, if you're with us, why in the world did all this happen? If you're supposed to be with us and fighting our battles and being with us, why did all of this happen? There are people today who live in the United States of America that are marginal Christians, and because of what has taken place, instead of trusting in the Lord with all their heart and being willing to step forward and do what, be a servant of God and do what he's called them to do, are asking the same question. God, if you're God, why did all of this happen? Maybe you're here today, and you've had a difficult thing happen in your family. Maybe you got a terrible report from the doctor. Maybe things are going on inside of you that you can't understand or contemplate and you find yourself in this same position. The Lord's calling out to you. I want to use you in the midst of your storm. I want to use you in the midst of this hurt. I want to use you in the midst of this difficult period. And all you can muster up to say is, God, if you're really God, why did this happen? Where are the miracles, God? what he says where are the miracles that you did i have heard i've heard grandpa say i've heard my dad say i've heard for generations behind me tell about how you brought us up out of egypt and all the miracles that you did but god where are they now and you may be sitting there thinking the exact same thing i need you now lord i need a miracle today you're sitting back and you're thinking, God, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer. Lord, you've forsaken us. You've put us in the hands of these people. But God says, hey, listen, I can use you if you're willing. If you look down in chapter 6, verse 15, Gideon says, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? How can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the youngest in my family. You've got the wrong guy. You need a hardened warrior for this. challenge for us this morning is this. In difficult situations, are you going to let bitterness and disappointment keep you from being what God's called you to be? The Lord is speaking out words. The Holy Spirit is speaking out into your life. And you have allowed the things and the circumstances that are around you, you've allowed your fear and your bitterness to keep you from stepping out in faith. And you wonder why this enemy can't be defeated in my life. It's because he's waiting for you to take a step. He's waiting for you to take a step. I'm not going to stay in the wine press. I'm not going to stay in, in isolation. I'm going to work with the Lord. The second picture is this. I want us to look at Gideon the challenger. Gideon the challenger. Let's read in, in chapter 6, verse 25. It says, That night the Lord said to him, Take a bull from your father's herd and a second bull seven years old, Tear down your father's Baal altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. 
Then build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this, this stronghold in an orderly way. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole that you will cut down. He's still a little bit fearful. Because of what? Because there were things that he had to do on a spiritual level before God could ever use him. He had to get rid of the idols. The idols that kept his family bound and the idols that were very much a part of his life. And so God tells him this way. He says, listen, before we get to the next phase, before we get to that next step of you defeating the enemy, you've got to get rid of the enemy in your own life. Come on, somebody. Before you can get to the place where God can just have all of your heart and begin to use you in a great way, you've got to get to the place where you're saying, God, I get rid of all the idols in me. I want to get rid of, I want a clean house in my family. I want a clean house in my life. Every little nook, every little cranny, every little hidden space. God, I completely and totally give that to you. I surrender my life because, Lord, I know that that's what you want from me. He had to get rid of the Asher pole. He had to get rid of the Baal altar. And when he did that, what happened? He, the Bible says that he does it in the middle of the night because he was a little afraid because of what his father's house might say, what the other people in the town might say. So he takes 10 slaves and he goes out in the middle of the night and he cuts down this Asher pole and destroys this altar. He's willing to take a risk. He's really to move out in faith. Now, when I was in high school, they made us do a physical fitness test. Was I the only one that had to do that, or did the rest of you have to suffer through that for Jesus? One of the parts of the physical fitness test was running the mile. I am not good at long distance. And I'm a great sprinter. I can go from here to there. If there's a ball involved, I am all in. But when we're just running aimlessly to run, that is not my deal. So I remember the, the coach, he, he would, we'd have to go through this physical fitness barrage, and he'd tell all the guys this when we got ready to do this test. He says, listen, I want each of you to run it in under six minutes or less. That's what I said. That's what I said. I said, are you kidding me? I can't run this in six minutes. So I thought, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my best. I'm going to do everything I can. I ran it in like six minutes and I think five seconds or something like that. I was pretty impressed with that. I was doing everything I could to get six minutes, but it just wouldn't happen. And, and the thing is, is, is you stop to think about that. There used to be a thing back in the day. Do you remember when it used to be that nobody could do a, a four-minute mile until one guy did it? And everybody was like, oh, man, that, that's a great feat. Did you realize back in the days of ancient Greece, they were trying to, they found old records of the Greeks that were trying to accomplish to have somebody run a four-minute mile? They were so serious about it, they would have wild animals chase the runners to try to get them faster to do that. Anybody ever been chased by a wild animal? I, I know there was one time I was out at a friend's house and my Volkswagen Rabbit got about a half mile to three quarters of a mile down the road from where they lived and it died. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to walk back. Well, next thing I know, there's a dog looking in my window. Wild animal, man, telling you what. At least I thought it was. And it's barking at me, barking at me, and I'm praying. I never prayed harder in my life. I'm like, dear Jesus, let this thing start. And finally it started. I threw it in reverse. I don't know why I threw it in reverse, but I threw it in reverse, went back up the hill a little bit, and the thing died. And I said, I'm not giving you another chance. Turned the thing off, took the keys, and ran. Got to my friend's house. I'm like, there's a wild animal chasing me. It's a big dog. And they're like, my neighbor don't have any big dogs. I don't know what you've got going on. 
They tried to have wild animals chase people to get this mile. They tried to give the runners tiger's milk. You can't pick that up at Walmart, friends. They they tried to give them tiger's milk to, to make them run faster. But nothing worked. And so they decided that it was physically impossible for a human being to run a mile in four minutes. Their their bone structure was going to be all wrong. The wind resistance was going to be too great. Their lung capacity was just inadequate. And and there's no way in the world they were going to run a mile in four minutes. And then one day, Roger Bannister broke the record with a four-minute while. And the year after that, 300 runners broke the four-minute mile. You know, I think... In our, how how does this apply to us today? I think sometimes we are always looking for the excuse of why we can't instead of searching for why he can. I think we're looking for the excuse of why you can't instead of looking for why he can. I can't do that. I'm not qualified, I don't have the training. I don't have the, the ability that's outside of my box. Can I just tell you, leading an army against an enemy was outside of Gideon's box. It was way outside of Gideon's box. But God is not concerned about your abilities. He is more concerned about your availabilities. If you're willing to say yes, one of the things that is a constant reminder for me, and, and I'm going to show a clip here of a movie in just a minute, but it's this idea of, God, am I giving you the best of me? Am I giving you the best of what I am capable of? I think this, will, this, mov- this movie clip here will kind of spell that out for us. Uh, it's not even funny, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a lost Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat him. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. (laughs) (laughs) What, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. <laughs> That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. 
There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. Brock, you are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I weigh 160. thing I noticed about that video, a couple things. One is before the challenge that the coach gave, he wasn't giving his 100% best. He was doing half-hearted effort. And when you give half-hearted effort, you give very half-hearted results. The other thing I noticed is once he set aside in his mind and in his heart that he was going to give his best and, and do what was required of him, did you notice what happened to all the rest of the team? People follow people who are being led by the Lord. I look at the, the idea of Gideon here. Gideon was somebody, he was not somebody who you would tab as somebody that would be a leader of people. If you knew and you read about Gideon in the first part of chapter 6, he is not somebody that you would have, that's the guy. But what happened is, once he began to get things right with the Lord and do what God wanted him to do and started giving God all of his life, other people started to join in. We're going to find out here in a little bit that he had 32,000 men that were willing to fight with him against the Midianites. God is looking for people who will give their best and not quit. Who are willing to say, God, it is not about me. It's all about you. And I'm going to give you my best. Can I just be really honest with you today? It's what you owe. It's your reasonable act of worship. We can Romanize it if you want. God gave his best for you. He gave everything he had for you. So how can I be any less 
than to say, God, I'm going to give you all of me. I'm going to be all in. And there's going to be times when I don't feel like it. There's going to be times when it's hard. There's going to be times when it hurts. But I'm going to be all in. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. Final picture here today that I want to hit on is Gideon the Conqueror. He issues this call to arms and this farmer is actually ready to lead this army to battle and they get 32,000 men to come out and, uh, and to fight in this battle. But Gideon still has this little discussion with God and he says, I'll tell you what, God, here's the deal. If you really want me to do this, if I'm really your guy, here's how, what we're going to do. I'm going to put this fleece out on the ground tonight. And when I get up in the morning, I want the grass all around it to be dry and the fleece to be wet. Next morning, they wake up, the ground's dry. The Bible says they took the fleece, wrung it out, and had a bowl full of water from what was there. And then Gideon says, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> Let me, uh, let's reverse this and see if that happens. I just, I just want to make sure, right? And so... The next morning, the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. So he knows this is it. God's called him. They've got 32,000 men and God looks at Gideon and says, you've got way too many. (laughs) And Gideon's thinking, "Um, God, let me explain something to you about war. Having too many is not really an option, right? I like to play the game Risk. And whenever I'm going to battle with somebody in the game Risk, I want all the armies I've got at my disposal ready to go, right? You're not going to withhold and say, I'm going to attack your big 130,000 army with my you know, 300 people. That's not logic. But God says you got too many. And then he says this, I want you to tell everybody that's afraid that they can go home. (laughs) And so Gideon comes out and says, listen, if you're afraid, y'all can leave. And I'm sure that those guys that were afraid are looking at another going, really? Are you serious? Am I on candid camera? I can leave? You can go. 22,000 got up and left. There's 10,000 left. Could you imagine what those 10,000 thought? Bunch of wimps. Bunch of scaredy bears. Go on, right? And then God says in this, in verses 4 through 8, he says, listen, you're still too many people. Bring them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. And when I say to you, this one will not go with you, you won't go. So he brought the people down, the Bible says, down to the water, and the Lord led them, said to Gideon, you shall set apart by himself everyone who laps the water with his tongue like dogs, and likewise everyone who kneels down to drink. Separate them out. So the number of those who lapped and putting their hands to their mouth and like a dog was 300. And God says those are the people. Summing that up a little bit. He says, those are the people. I want you to take those 300, and I want you to go to battle. And I'm sure Gideon had his moments. But God gives him a a reassurance. He, he, He allows him to go into the Midianite camp, and he confirms this whole thing uh, through some, some of the Midianite army that's kind of talking. And they're, they're scared. They're, they're, um, they, they were eavesdropping on a conversation going on around a campfire, and two guys are talking, and the first one said, I had the strangest dream last night. I dreamt that a loaf of barley bread rolled down the hill into the camp and flattened one of our tents. And the second guy says this, well, your dream can only mean that one thing, that Gideon and his army are going to whip us. Those are my translation. And so 
Gideon takes this interpretation and the dream and the interpretation is a sign from God. He goes back to the camp. He rallies the troops. Verse 15, he, he says this. He said, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped, returned to the camp of Israel and said, get up for the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. He divided the 300 men into three combat units. He gave them all ram's horn trumpets, empty jars and torches with the jars. That sounds like armored battle right now, doesn't it? I'm going to give you a trumpet horn, I'm going to give you a jar, and I'm going to give you a tiki torch. Go fight the enemy. And he said, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come into to the perimeter of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the horn, then you will blow the horns around all, the, all around the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and a hundred men with him went to the edge of the camp at the start of the middle of the night watch, just as they were setting the watch. Then they blew the horns and smashed the jars in their hands. The three combat units blew the horns and broke the jars. Then they held the torches in their left hand and the horns for blowing in their right hand. And they called out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, but in the men in the camp ran, shouted, and fled. Then when they blew the 300 horns, the Lord turned every man's sword against his fellow man throughout the camp. The Midianite camp fled to Beth Shittah and in the direction of Zerathah, up the border of Abel, Methoah, toward Tabith. And the men of Israel from Naphtali, Asher, and all the Manasseh were summoned, and they chased after the Midianites. Now Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down to engage Midian in battle. Take control of the waterways as far as Beth Parah and the Jordan. All the men of Ephraim were summoned and they took control of the waterways as far as Beth Parah and the Jordan. And they captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they chased after the Midianites and brought the heads of Zorob and Zeb, Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. God brought about victory that day. Can I tell you, whenever you are faced with a task that God has have you to do, the victory is yours when the battle is his. If you will take it by the hand and say, God, I've got this because I've got you. It's not on my own power. It's not on my own might, but his spirit doesn't, but it says by his spirit, says the Lord. It's not by human might. It's not by human power. You can't do it by yourself. It's only through the voice and the power and the presence and the spirit of God working in your life. And when you put all of that together, the odds can be stacked up against you. You can get report after report of negativity. But can I tell you, you and God is majority and he will take you through to the other side victorious every time hallelujah give the lord praise the question here today is this are you willing to say yes yes god you can use me yes god i'll be that guy I'll stand up when nobody else will. I know I don't have the experience. I know I don't have the qualifications, but God, I will be that guy. The thing I notice about reading in Scripture, too, is this. God's not concerned about how old you are, how young you are. That doesn't play into the equation. What plays into the equation is, are you willing? Are you willing to say yes and be obedient to what he calls you to do? Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that today you, you, oh God, are sending out something into the hearts of people. I believe today you're calling people into ministry. You're calling them to do something, God, that they never thought that they could ever do. God, you're not looking for someone who has all the confidence in the world. You're just looking for somebody that has the confidence in you and are willing to say yes. 
God, I'm willing to say yes. I'll start, the ministry. I'll start that ministry. Yes, God. I'll teach that class. Yes, God. I'll talk to that neighbor. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. I'll serve you. I'll be a light in my school. Yes, God. Yes, God. I'll work in my workplace. Whatever it is, God, whatever you're calling me to, I will. I will do it. I'm not going to operate out of cowardice. I'm going to be willing to do it. As we're praying here this morning, maybe you're here today and you've had that same thought process as Gideon had in the beginning. You know that God's got something in your life, but man, there's been so many things that have come against you that you've found yourself asking, God, what happened? God, how did this get railroaded? God, where are you in all this? And today, I just want you to know he's never left you. He's never given up on you. He believes in you because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. This morning, you might be here and you say, Pastor, I'm I'm in that boat. I'm in that boat. I'm in that time of life that I just need to take a step and say, yes, God, I believe. The Holy Spirit spoke to your heart times past. He's speaking to your heart again right now. We've been praying for this. We pray for God moments in our church services, and this is one of those, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. And you'd be willing to say, respond by saying, yes, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I'm not saying it's easy. All I'm saying is, God gave his best for you. Are you willing to give your best for him? You'd be willing to give all in for God. This morning, if that's you and you say, yes, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go. I'm really to give you my best. I'm not going to quit. I'm willing to give you everything I've got. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up? Pastor, that's me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. As we're still praying today, maybe you're here and, and you be honest with yourself and honest with God and you've got some idols. You've got some Asherah poles in your life that you need to have cut down, that you need to get rid of today. It could be a habit. It could be a hobby. It could be a relationship. I don't know what it is. But again, the Holy Spirit is poking at you right now, and you know exactly what it is because the moment I spoke it, it became part of in your mind. You know exactly what that is. Before God can use you, you've got to cut those things down. You've got to get them out of your life. You say, Pastor, I need to do that today. There's some things in my life that aren't pleasing to God. There's some things in my life that I know that I need to get rid of. If that's you today, would you slip up your hand? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Some things I've got to get rid of. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Would you stand today? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. Today, if you're here and you raise your hand, that's a prayer. That's how you need to start this prayer. I ask God for your forgiveness. If you've got Asher poles, if you've got things in your life that you need, you know the Holy Spirit's spoken to your heart about and you know what they are and you need to get rid of them right now. Here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to forgive you. And you need to verbalize what that is. You know what it is. 
When you raised your hand, you knew exactly what that was. So right now, you need to say, Lord, please forgive me of, and just lay it out before him. Just tell him. Jesus, I'm so grateful that your blood covers a multitude of sin. I thank you, Lord, that you are, you are God, and you're loving, and you're compassionate, and you're abounding in grace and mercy. I thank you for that today, Lord. And right now, I pray for those people who today have gone out and they're cutting down those things in their life. For some of them, when they get home, they're going to need to clean out their closet. They're going to need to clean out their cabinets. They're going to need to get rid of some things. They're going to have to reorganize some agendas and calendars. They're going to have to do some things differently, God, because it's not just about raising my hand. It's about changing my life. Repentance doesn't come by just raising your hand. Repentance says, I was heading this way down towards sin, but I've changed my life and my heart and my thoughts, and now I'm going to go toward Jesus. That's what repentance is about. And today, that's what you want to do. So God, I pray for those folks today. Help them to have the courage to be able to stand and to do that, Lord, I pray. Father, I pray right now for those people who raise their hand and, and they feel they feel a tug on their heart. And God, they want to declare to you, I'm going to do the best. I'm going to give you my best. I'm not going to succumb, God. I'm not going to succumb to the things around me, the pressures of this world, but I'm going to give you my best. God, everything I have in me is going to be yours. And I pray that today as they take that step of faith, that God, I know just like you met with Gideon, you'll meet with them. And the anointing of God will touch their heart and you'll be with them, God, today. I pray for great things that you want to do. I, I believe, God, that you have a, a plan for this church, for this community, for each person here, God, the families that are represented. God, you've got plans for them. And God, part of that just involves us being willing to step out in faith and do the things, God, that you've called us to do. I pray, God, you'd help us with that today. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.